This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Inside Story on BFM 89.9. Good evening. This is Inside Story with Sharmila Ganesan. Tonight, we're closing off our mini series on 2023 resolutions we'd like to see for our ministries by focusing on the Ministry of International Trade and Industry. So, first, we speak with former Miti Deputy Minister Ong Kian Ming on what the priority should be, especially as the world gears up for a possible recession. And then we discuss our latest trade agreements like the RCEP and the CPT- CPTPP. So, tell us, what should be Miti's priorities this year? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. This is Inside Story. It is six oh eight. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila, and um, it's it's sort of a mixed outlook for the coming year. I think it's safe to say. So a number of things are expected to negatively impact our trade growth. So for a ministry like International Trade and Industry, of course, the impending uh, talk of recession in developed economies like the US, Europe and China um, stand to have a pretty large impact in terms of um, what our international trade can weather and, and what changes we might need to make. There is also, of course, pressure increasingly to meet growing environmental sustainability and governance goals or ESG goals that are being set by other countries. So this is most obvious in our palm oil exports because Malaysia has said, of course, that it could stop exporting palm oil to the EU following new EU laws that strictly regulate sales. Now, These laws, of course, ban the sale of commodities that are linked to deforestation unless importers can show that the production of their specific goods have not damaged forests. So that's on the side of factors that we need to be concerned about. Uh, However, um, on the plus side of things, China's borders have reopened. Uh, There is also the ratification of the uh, CPTPP or the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership. Uh, There's also a focus on developing the EV sector, which we've heard about so far from the Ministry of International Trade and Industry, specifically um, a, a proposed investment of Twenty uh, a proposed investment of twenty five billion ringgit that is expected to um, kick in by twenty twenty five. So that's a lot of um, that's a lot to look forward to in terms of what we might expect our trade industry to do in the coming year. A lot to focus on as well, and so we will be unpacking uh, the various aspects of this first. We're going to talk about priorities, and for that, we'll be joined by former Deputy Minister of Miti, Ong Kian Ming. And then later on, we're going to try and understand where these various trade agreements come in. So we're going to focus on the RCEP, the Regional Comprehensive Partnership Agreement, as well as the CPTPP, uh, both of which have the potential to uh, really shape what our international trade would look like in the coming year. So in the meantime, do weigh in. We'd like to hear from you. What should the priorities be for the Ministry of International Trade and Industry in 2023? You can call 7733 Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Become fabulous millionaires. BFM 89.9. 
It is 612. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila. And we're talking about resolutions we'd like to see the Ministry of International Trade and Industry adopt in 2023. And uh, do weigh in. What should the what should METI prioritize in the coming year? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Now on the line with us is Dr. Ong Kian Ming, former Deputy Minister of International Trade and Industry. Kian Ming, good to have you with us. So Malaysia's trade expanded by close to thirty percent to two point six one three trillion from January to November last year. Were you surprised by how well we did? Uh, I wasn't surprised given that trade during COVID uh, in Malaysia as well as ASEAN countries, uh, especially to uh, Europe as well as the US, uh, increased by quite a bit. Uh, and I think Malaysia did well in the E&E sector because the demand for uh, electronic goods, uh, you know, tablets, phones, computers, and whatnot, uh, in the uh, you know, around the world increased during the pandemic. Uh, so I think uh, we, the fact that we did pretty well uh, wasn't that surprising. But I think uh, in the early indications are that the E&E exports, uh, you know, will slow down in 2023. Uh, and also with a uh, likely recession in both Europe as well as uh, the US, uh, I'm guessing that, I'm estimating that the a trade, uh, you know, component in goods will uh, decrease uh, for Malaysia in 2023. Right. If I could elaborate on that, uh, the impact of the global recession on our trade growth momentum. Yeah, so a couple of things. Uh, I think the stimulus packages that were introduced around the world uh, during the pandemic uh, meant that in some cases, uh, there were people, uh, there were people with uh, more cash uh, that they could spend on on goods, uh, you know, including in the E and E sector, which I talked just now uh, about. Uh, and given the fact that these uh, stimulus packages have uh, basically run out uh, in twenty twenty three, and also with uh, uh, fears of uh, economic slowdown in some of the major regions around the world, uh, especially Europe and uh, and the US, the demand for these goods uh, will decrease. Uh, but I think I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, that with the opening of China, uh, the demand for uh, services such as uh, tourism uh, will be able to make up for some of the uh, some of the uh, shortfalls or some of the slowdown in trade for goods, uh, you know, coming from Europe and and the US. So I think there should be some balancing there, but uh, I think overall we should not expect uh, as healthy a growth in uh, our trade figures compared to twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two. So, Miti Minister Datuk Sri Tengku Zafrul has also uh, said that China opening its borders will mean more growth for Malaysia this year. Just to look back, how much did the closing of China uh, impact trade last year? I I think the impact uh, on trade happened in two areas, uh, in two ways. Uh, firstly, the shutdowns uh, in different parts of China associated with COVID uh, definitely would have disrupted supply chains. And given the fact that China is our largest trading partner with a lot of interlinkages in different sectors, including in the uh, auto uh, equipment sector, as well as the E&E sector, uh, this meant that I think uh, that the, the, the trade between Malaysia and China would have been also negatively impacted. Uh, so perhaps trade between Malaysia and China could have been even higher uh, without these uh, shutdowns associated with COVID in 2022. 
So that's uh, basically trade in uh, uh, goods, uh, you know, being impacted. Uh, but in 2023, we don't really see the same kind of impact, uh, you know, due, due to COVID shutdowns, uh, you know, coming into play as much. Uh, again, uh, you know, cautious optimism that this would be uh, good in terms of Malaysia and China trade numbers. And of course, uh, trade in services in terms of Chinese outbound tourists uh, to Malaysia uh, I would also be good for the uh, trade in the service sector of the economy. So just to go back to uh, what you mentioned about the E&E sector, there has been this big push to develop the EV industry with uh, METI aiming for $20 billion in investments by 2025. How much do you think this focus can support the growth of the E&E sector? Yeah, I, I think that we see a healthy growth and also good potential in the area of EV parts, EV auto parts, uh, and also um, uh, the EV sector that has got to do with the EV charging ecosystem. Uh, so these would be the charging stations, uh, the kind of um, uh, EPCC or, or you know your your contractors that are associated with setting up these uh, uh, charging stations. Uh, so we we have already seen announcements from certain companies, including from China, in the battery sector uh, coming into Malaysia. So I expect that to be uh, one area, one potential area of growth, uh, not just for FDI, but also for some of the local uh, companies that are good in the auto parts uh, sector, uh, which can also contribute to the EV sector. However, I'm, uh, I'm less optimistic with regards to the growth of the domestic demand for EV vehicles, because I think the push for the EV charging ecosystem has been relatively slow. Uh, and I think uh, as long as petrol prices in Malaysia are also relatively low by global standards, uh, the demand for EV may not be as high, which means that the local EV assembly uh, sector uh, would also, I think, grow much more slowly compared to uh, some of the FDI associated with uh, EV parts. Uh, much of it uh, will be uh, you know, probably targeted for the export market. So... Is this a longer-term play or can we expect some investments into EV contributing to our figures this year? Uh, I think it will be a longer-term play. Uh, we may see some of the uh, fruits of what has been uh, already planned before uh, come into play in 2023 uh, with regards to uh, perhaps a big push for EV charging ecosystem. Uh, but I think this is probably uh, something that we're going to see uh, pan out in the longer term. Maybe you're talking about uh, at least three to five years before we see uh, substantive growth in this area. Because I think in the auto sector, we're still very much uh, focused on the uh, internal combustion engine uh, side of the equation. Looking back at your time as Deputy Minister of METI, what were some of your focuses then? And would you prioritize those same things today? Yeah, uh, good question. I have actually went through these uh, some of these uh, focus areas and also priorities with uh, my successor uh, at METI, uh, YB uh, Liu Chintong, and also had a brief chat with the uh, minister, uh, Tengku Zafu, former minister of finance, now heading METI. Uh, and I would say that some of the focus areas are still relevant today. Uh, so, for example, uh, the focus on Industry 4.0 and also automation initiatives related to uh, Industry 4.0 policies, I think they are more relevant today than uh, today, more relevant today than before. Uh, because of some of the uh, shortage, labor shortage issues that we see in this country, and also with the increase in the labor costs associated with the rise in the minimum wage and also 
changes in the Employment Act. I think many businesses are really uh, interested in uh, pushing for Industry 4.0 policies. And I think MITI is uh, in a good place to try to uh, encourage uh, that trend. Uh, the other area that I think uh, you know I looked at very uh, closely uh, would be uh, FDI coming as a result of the US-China uh, tensions. Uh, and I think that uh, that kind of uh, opportunity is even greater now today uh, compared to when I was deputy minister. Uh, but we have to be somewhat selective. Uh, we have to be strategic in terms of uh, uh, aligning which kinds of um, uh, you know investments we want uh, coming from, let's say, China uh, in different parts of the country. And uh, I do believe that my colleagues at MIT have a pretty good handle on this. So the ministry has, of course, highlighted some trade deals with China for palm oil procurement, timber products exports, solar module sales, durian uh, and bird's nest. What are your thoughts on these as areas of growth with China? Uh, actually, the areas that you mentioned, palm oil, bird's nest, uh, you know, I, I think they are, they are good sort of like a, a diversification strategies for Malaysia to undertake uh, because of some pressures that we're facing uh, especially with regards to palm oil uh, in the European Union. Uh, but our trade with China actually largely is in other sectors. Uh, so, for example, in the machine uh, uh, sector, in the E&E sector, uh, those are actually much larger components. Uh, in fact, multiple times of what we are exporting to China vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, you know, palm oil, for example. Uh, so I think we, sh we, we should not get too distracted with uh, you know, palm oil issues uh, in terms of diversification strategies to China, uh, but focus on some of the existing areas and especially in the E&E sector uh, with uh, the US uh, implementing some pretty harsh measures in terms of uh, putting in restrictions uh, on US companies selling to uh, selling high-end chips to China. So, you know, we need to focus on how this can also be a challenge as well as an op opportunity for uh, companies operating in Malaysia in this sector. And how has METI fared in terms of pinpointing the issues that need to be focused on in the manufacturing sector? Uh, I've been told uh, that one of the uh, new initiatives or um, departments that METI has set up is actually uh, a department that looks into supply chain issues. Uh, this comes under the uh, purview of the industry section of METI. And I think this is a very important uh, sector because not only uh, is it well-placed to uh, you know, uh, put in policies to uh, avoid uh, some of the challenges we faced during COVID, uh, whereby we found out that there were some sectors of the economy that were crucial to the functioning of the uh, certain export sectors, whereby we only uh, had uh, suppliers, uh, you know, one or two suppliers, either from Malaysia or from, from abroad. Uh, so I think having this kind of... Um, uh, supply chain, uh, you know, economic security uh, kind of emphasis on the part of MITI uh, would be good uh, to meet some of the uh, future challenges, uh, some of which I talked about just now, which regards to uh, more restrictions coming in from the US uh, in terms of doing business with China. So speaking of restrictions, um, let's look at these perennial issues that we have with palm oil and the European Union. So the government has responded to these tighter regulations on palm oil sales in the EU. Um, and we've said that we might halt exports altogether and focus instead on other countries. Can Malaysia afford to cut its palm oil tiles, ties with the EU? Yeah, um, so the... 
the palm oil export sector is uh, not under METI, it's under the Ministry of uh, Commodities. Uh, and I think there needs to be more alignment between the Ministry of Commodities and Plantation with uh, METI on this issue. Uh, because when we think about the EU, uh, the EU is actually our third largest market after China, uh, after after uh, China and uh, and uh, the 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 US. Uh, and uh, what I think I would like to emphasize is the fact that we should not, uh, you know, uh, think of our trade with the EU as only being focused on palm oil. Uh, you know, we our exports in the manufacturing sector far surpasses uh, palm oil exports to the EU. Uh, and I think what is needed uh, in terms of a Malaysian response, and this is what is what should be coordinated by METI, is that the EU is increasingly focused uh, on ESG-related uh, policies, uh, not just internally within the EU, but also setting standards for companies and countries that want to do business uh, with the EU. So rather than uh, wanting to cut ties uh, or cut cut palm oil ties with the EU and reduce our palm oil exports, I think what is a much, uh, much more proactive strategy was to see how we can align our domestic policies in different sectors, in the manufacturing, in the commodity sectors, uh, to be able to uh, find ourselves moving up the ESG value chain uh, so that we uh, you know, would face less and less of these kinds of restrictions, either coming from the EU or coming from the US. because. Uh, as you may remember, we also had a couple of uh, glove manufacturers in Malaysia being having their exports uh, to the U.S. temporarily stopped uh, because of uh, uh, labor uh, violations. So I think as part and parcel of a larger ESG rethink, uh, you know, we need to you know ask our industries to increase our compliance on ESG, and then uh, some of the uh, issues that that you mentioned just now with regards to the EU. And also some of the issues I mentioned just now with regards to the US can be resolved in a more amicable way. No, absolutely. ESG really is something that's becoming increasingly important uh, when it comes to trading with partner countries. What can we be doing more to improve compliance with ESG policies across sectors? I think it's really uh, on a sector by sector kind of uh, uh, approach. Uh, of course, I think the palm oil sector has raised certain concerns about uh, you know the the challenges of uh, complying with um, uh, some of some of the RSPO standards uh, with regards to to palm oil, and also how some companies that are based in the EU and uh, the US, even though they talk the talk of uh, ESG and R and supporting RSPO, they are not willing to pay higher prices for RSPO uh, palm oil, right? So I I think uh, you know we we need to go by sec uh, go in, into each sector to see what are some of the challenges and the opportunities. Uh, but I think in the long term, it is in the interest uh, of uh, Malaysian companies as well as uh, MNCs that are operating in Malaysia to see how they can uh, increase their compliance to ESG, uh, not just as a defensive strategy, but as a proactive strategy uh, on perhaps uh, you know even uh, winning new markets. So I'll, I'll give a very simple example. Uh, if let's say some of the uh, you know manufacturers uh, can look at how they can reduce their energy consumption consumption as part of their uh, ESG uh, compliance. It will make their products much more competitive uh, and it will be a good signal uh, to send to some of these uh, markets that are increasingly going into ESG as well. Uh, so you get a win-win situation whereby uh, uh, companies in Malaysia benefit and then we also are able to expand uh, markets uh, and or maintain markets uh, in places like the EU and the US. 
We'll continue our conversation with Dr. Ong Kian Ming after this. Uh, we are speaking about priorities for the Ministry of International Trade and Industry in the coming year. Uh, it's part of our mini-series that we've been doing on resolutions we'd like to see the different ministries take up. Do send your thoughts our way. What should the Ministry of International Trade and Industry focus on in 2023? You can call us, double seven double three two nine hundred. send us a voice note or WhatsApp, 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio, and stay tuned because we are continuing uh, our conversation with former Deputy Minister of METI, Dr. Ong Kian Ming. Keep it here on BFM 89.9. Best Flipping Moments, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 6.37. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and we're focusing on the Ministry of International Trade and Industry today uh, in our Ministry Resolutions We'd Like to See for 2023 series. So keep sending your thoughts through. What should the METI priorities be for the coming year? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. We're continuing our conversation now with former METI uh, Deputy Minister Dr. Ong Kian Ming. Uh, Kian Ming, to bring it to SMEs, local, micro, small and medium enterprises actually contributed 11.7% to the country's overall exports in 2021. And in the 12th Malaysia plan, the goal was to hit 25% by 2025. So what sort of growth should we expect for this year and which industries are going to get us to reach that number? Yeah, of course, uh, manufacturing is actually one of the, the key drivers of, of our exports. And in fact, uh, you know, during the good times, uh, you know, E&E sector will contribute uh, almost 100% of our trade surplus. Uh, so I think uh, companies, uh, manufacturing companies in the uh, SME sector, probably less so the micro sector, uh, but uh, the SME sector, especially the, the medium-sized uh, enterprises, uh, they are an important uh, growth component. Uh, and I hope that uh, more of them can, uh, you know, get onto the Industry 4.0 bandwagon uh, to be able to make themselves more productive and efficient. And then at the same time, uh, I think we uh, have already ratified the RCEP, uh, the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, uh, and also we've recently uh, ratified the uh, CPTPP uh, trade uh, agreement. So what I think the government can do together with the private sector is to explain uh, and also to uh, increase the level of exposure uh, among the SME companies on how they can take advantage of these free trade agreements in order to increase their uh, you know, exports uh, to some of these uh, new markets uh, such as uh, Canada, uh, Mexico that are part of the CPTPP and also how they can uh, you know, take advantage of some of the uh, conditions set uh, in RCEP that allows uh, you know, Malaysian exports to be more competitive uh, to the RCEP countries. That's it, though. There has been feedback from SMEs that it's been tough to access new markets and opportunities that agreements like the RCEP are meant to open up. What's your take on that? Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, it would be, uh, I'll give an example. I think it's much more useful for the private sector to explain to the private sector how to take advantage of this. And, uh, you know, there have been a couple of dialogues that have been uh, organized, uh, you know, including uh, between ideas i think tech in, in malaysia with one of the uh you know uh, logistics companies uh you know i i can't remember whether it was uh, dhl or fedex uh, but you know a lot of these uh, shipping and logistics companies uh, they know 
uh, what are the changes in the custom arrangements uh, as a result of these free trade agreements uh, that uh, you know can be taken advantage of by the SMEs. So basically, uh, what METI can do, uh, you know, is to try to organize some of these roadshows, uh, you know, together with the private sector, together with these logistic companies, so that uh, this kind of uh, more, uh, you know, more fine grain details uh, can be explained to the private sector, uh, you know, in ways that can benefit them in a much more uh, direct way. In fact, uh, I tried to do this uh, under the former Trade Minister Azmin Ali, uh, you know, to volunteer to organize some of these uh, dialogues uh, with Miti's participation in my own area. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, his office was not so keen, uh, perhaps because I did not, you know, see eye to eye with him on other uh, political issues. <laughs> Well, Matriad says that they're placing a strong emphasis on high-value industries and emerging markets. And we often talk about this, that Malaysia needs to move up the value chain, right? Talk to us about what that means to you. Yeah, so I, I think the, the, the kind of uh, higher value-added uh, industries in the manufacturing sector is already well-known in Malaysia. Uh, and the industry players also know what what MITI has been emphasizing all this while. So, for example, E&E, the auto sector, the aerospace sector, uh, you know, the machines and equipment sector, just to name a few. I think what uh, I hope to see uh, MITI uh, do and also perhaps uh, the, the, the larger, you know, the other ministries uh, do as well, is to not just say, okay, you know, I want this sector to develop, I want this sector to go up the value chain, uh, but to be able to say, look, how can we facilitate uh, you know, all industries in Malaysia, including the manufacturing sector, to look for opportunities to expand uh, the range of products uh, in terms of how they are going to solve uh, problems of today and tomorrow, right? So how are we going to see our industries uh, grow in such a way uh, so that uh, more ESG-related issues can be addressed, right? Uh, how uh, some of their existing products and existing processes can be change or customize in order to address these kinds of uh, problems of the future. And I think this is uh, sort of like a, you know, a different way of seeing it that can be explored uh, across uh, ministries, across sectors, uh, so that even you know, the agriculture sector can uh, look at these kinds of uh, opportunities. Uh, the, the, the environmental sector can look at these kind of opportunities, even the education sector. Right? So I, 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 you know, I hope that this kind of uh, more creative and now the box thinking can be explored. And of course, I'll try to do my part by sharing my views uh, either in public or you know, in private uh, with some of my colleagues who are in uh, government ministries uh, at the moment. So with this being a unity government, do you think leadership from different parties might bring a new dimension to how things will run and function at MITI? Um, I don't think the unity government necessarily has anything to do with uh, how MITI will function uh, moving forward. Uh, but I am optimistic that with uh, Tunku Zafro's experience in the private sector, as well as the Ministry of uh, Finance, and then also with uh, YB Liu Chintong's uh, experience uh, in uh, the Defence uh, Ministry and also his uh, economic interests in different sectors of the economy, I, I, I think that new ways of thinking about trying to develop uh, you know, different uh, industries and different sectors uh, can be um, uh, brought up uh, in BT. Uh, and a much more open sort of like a way of engagement can also be adopted, uh, you know, uh, in the new, uh, under the new leadership, which I think we did not see uh, enough of, uh, you know, during the time when 
you know, the previous administration was in place, especially under COVID. Yanming, what final thoughts and hopes do you have for Miti's direction in 2023? Yeah, uh, probably the last thing that I want to emphasize is that uh, I think uh, under this new leadership in Miti, uh, I hope that there will be a new mandate that will be sought by the minister uh, in cabinet to look for new opportunities to sign uh, different kinds of uh, agreements uh, with other countries uh, and also other uh, entities. So, for example, uh, you know, uh, now that we've ratified the CPTPP, are there opportunities for us to seek uh, an EU-Malaysia FTA uh, that perhaps will be able to address some of the ESG-related issues that I discussed earlier? Uh, are there ways in which we can sign different digital economy uh, partnerships uh, within APEC countries, for example, uh, within APEC entities, for example? Right, so I, I think uh, this will be one area that I'll be looking closely at with regards to fresh mandate for uh, fresh agreements uh, between Malaysia and other countries and uh, economies. Kian Ming, thanks for speaking with us today. That was Dr. Ong Kian Ming, former Deputy Minister of International Trade and Industry, weighing in on uh, directions and priorities that the ministry uh, should focus on for the coming year. Let us know uh, what should MITI's priorities be in 2023. You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We'll be back after this for your messages. Um, and a little bit later on, we'll be uh, looking a little closer at those trade agreements, RCEP and CPTPP as well. So stay tuned. Keep it here on Inside Story BFM eighty nine point nine. Bole for Malaysia. Ha. BFM eighty nine point nine. The Business Station. BFM 89.9, that was REM with Orange Crush. It is 6.50. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila. And we've been talking about the Ministry of International Trade and Industry, or MITI, and what we'd like to see from them in the coming year. Uh, We've been asking you for your thoughts as as well. What should MITI prioritise in 2023? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Uh, earlier, we heard from Dr. Ong Kian Ming about priorities um, that should be looked at for the coming year. Um, after the seven o'clock news, we are going to be joined by Dr. Mohammad Sharin Madras uh, from the UKM Graduate Business School, and we'll be talking about uh, specifically the impact of trade agreements, um, and we'll be looking at RCEP as well as CPTPP. Um, but in the meantime, we do have this voice note. This is from Bing. For me, Tia, actually, uh, I would prefer that uh, they would focus back on, I think it's now 12 Malaysia plan or 13 Malaysia plan, right? Uh, realign the, uh, the way forward for the country uh, in its industrialization or digitization or its own development. Now, I noticed that uh, industries like steel right, has not been given much, uh, much support over the last few years. And uh, from the looks of it, you can see there are policies uh, for importation or substitutes 
uh, to be you know, counter-reacting with the protection of the steel industry players here in Malaysia particularly. So there it seems like um, uh, one part trying to protect, the other part you are killing the industry. And mind you that like steel, there's so much, uh, is one of the main pillars of uh, the base, uh, the basic material that all industry use, not only for construction but manufacturing. All right. So the policies that METI needs to create is actually I would prefer some form of inward looking. If you need to protect certain industries, go ahead. But then make sure policies uh, are not there to catalyze or monopolize things, and also ensure. Uh, that there is sufficient protection, but yet making them sufficiently competent vis-a-vis uh, uh, the, the neighbouring countries within ASEAN. Mind you, we have the ASEAN block which is opening up already. Uh, this is more key, I would say. Focus back more on the country itself and perhaps the region which is ASEAN plus China. Thank you for those thoughts. Uh, so much uh, to, to draw on there. Um, I just wanted to pick up on two things. That point about ASEAN uh, being a, a potential focus that we should be developing. Uh, but also, I think your all your points about um, simultaneously uh, strangling industries while trying to develop them reminded me of something our guest earlier said, Dr. Ong Kian Ming, um, and how he called for stronger um cross-ministry work. Um, his example was to do with uh, palm oil, of course, saying how while palm oil is under the plantations in this, uh, ministry, that of course its interests intersect with METI. Um, and I think overall, there is so much more that needs to be done in terms of uh, this cross-focus and not looking at trade in isolation in sectors. Um, so thank you for that. Um, if you'd like to send a voice note through, you can send it to 018-789-8899. You can call us as well, double seven. Double three two nine hundred, or drop us a WhatsApp. You can tweet us at BFM Radio. We do have a caller on the line. Good evening, Rini. What are your thoughts? Hi. Good evening. Um, I was thinking about the the one with um ninety eight percent of us are working in the SMEs, right? So I would say that it should be um realignment of the focus of SME. Uh, we should increase in terms of our innovation and also in terms of our uh, exports uh, to ASEAN countries. Uh, mind that uh, the caller was saying about Indonesia, we should capitalize on the bilateral relationship that we had a few days ago. Our Prime Minister was in uh, Indonesia, so we should capitalize on this um, good relationship and also um, compete uh, in terms of uh, attracting FDIs in our country and vice versa. Other than that, I would say uh, in terms of realignment of the function of ministries, we can see that um, that should not be NATO kind of thing, no action talk only kind of mentality. The government and agencies should focus on um, attracting investment to SMEs and also to participate in a lot of international um, maybe expos, you know, we have uh, because this is... Uh, after pandemic, right? So we should have uh, attract the uh, halal industry because we had uh, issues on food security. So uh, I would say that METI going forward should focus on um, things that, you know, the quick gains, you know, within this um, uh, window of opportunities. 
So um, that's good news. And at the same time, SME should also uh, given more um, maybe training uh, to realign with all the points that we had. It should not be, you know, uh, uh, 5,000 kind of feet kind of helicopter policy, but you cannot translate it into the, onto the ground because 98% SMEs are struggling at the moment with the rising costs. So that would be a challenge for MITI, I would think. Rini, you mentioned the halal industry just now. I'm curious whether you think there are other sectors or industries that you think could have potential, particularly with this ASEAN focus that you're highlighting. Uh, in terms of that, I would say um, a furniture, furniture and appliances, because we would say that um, last maybe three to five years, uh, Malaysia had you know Malaysia has a good track record of uh, going on furniture instead of only focusing on electronics. But electronics is something that we are you know inherited. I mean, <laughs> it's, uh, it's like. Um, ongoing, you know, because it's, it's always, you know, focused on electronics, but uh, at the same time, we should also, you know, dive, uh, diverse into uh, any other SMEs. But I would say that um, maybe furniture, maybe uh, other, you know, value-added, value-added, uh, value-added products. And I would say that every SME should also focus on uh, innovation. Mm. Uh, because uh, when you talk about innovation and R&D, I'll, I read it somewhere in only 5 to 10% in uh, countries like Korea, they invest like 30 to 40% of their revenue into innovation. So we should also focus on that. And the relationship between the ministry should not be, you know, status quo. It should, you know, progress into another level because we are competing for investment. So we need to work together. Hand in hand, yeah, I would say. Rini, thank you so much for those thoughts. Um, really, a lot to a lot to think about then, a lot of really great suggestions. I hope the right people were listening. Uh, we've been talking about uh, the Ministry of International Trade and Industry and what they should be focusing on in 2023. If you'd like to weigh in, send your thoughts through, you can call 77332900, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. After the 7 o'clock news, uh, we're going to continue the conversation with Dr. Mohamed Sharin Madras, adjunct professor adjunct professor at the UKM Graduate Business School, and we'll be focusing on RCEP as well as the CPTPP. So keep it here, BFM 89.9. Bringing fresh meaning, BFM 89.9. It is 7.07 and we're continuing our, our conversation, our dissection of resolutions for the Ministry of International Trade and Industries for 2023. Uh, this, of course, closes off our two-week-long look at the various ministries. So we'd love to hear from you. Keep those thoughts coming. What should the Ministry of International Trade and Industry prioritize this year? You can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us. Now, to close off the conversation today, we're going to be focusing on our trade agreements. And on the line to uh, on the line with us is Dr. Mohamed Sharin Madras, adjunct professor at the UKM Graduate Business School, as well as former CEO of Martrade. Sharin, good to have you with us. Now we wanted to hone in on the PACs that have recently come into effect, specifically the RCEP as well as the CPTPP. How much are we relying on these two agreements to boost trade in 2023? Okay, to, 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 to comment on actually on CPTPP or the RCEP, 
I think we got to understand that these are, are basically uh, economic uh, cooperation, uh, multilateral corporations. Yeah. Now, um, uh, they are more than just trade agreements. Okay. Um, Malaysia uh, is no stranger to trade agreements. We have uh, many trade agreements uh, over the years. And um, uh, if you look at in terms of the performance of the trade agreement, uh, it's, it's hard to, to really say whether trade agreement uh, really contributes significantly in terms of uh, our total trade. Let me, let me clarify that. If you look at for the last 20 years, you know, we, we have trade agreement with countries like uh, Pakistan, Chile, Australia, Turkey, India. And if you look at the, the, the slope of uh, the growth rate, if you like, uh, of all the, the countries before and after the FTA, uh, there's no really significant increment in terms of, of trade performance. So, so in that sense, uh, uh, there, there are two potential conclusions you can make. One is uh, the growth rate has just maintained. So the trade agreement just facilitate or rather uh, ensure that we maintain our growth rate. Uh, there's no sudden increase in, in the sense that, you know, post uh, trade agreement and therefore there's an increase and therefore actually we are benefiting from it. Th th there's nothing in the, in, in the graph to show that. Uh, but of course, you, you can also argue without uh, the trade agreement, uh, the growth could, could have settled down or rather not improve and get worse. But, but the point I want to say is that whether we can rely on trade agreement to increase trade, it's really moot points. It's not, it's not very clear. Yeah? Now, when it comes to, to RCEP and CPTPP, now, they're, they're a, a different animal altogether because the RCEP is not just addressing trade bar barriers. Uh, it also look at establishing common rules for e-commerce, for trade, for intellectual property. It's much wider than, than just a trade agreement. In that sense, it has a much more uh, fundamental and significant impact uh, to the way we do trade. Now, how, how will it uh, impact Malaysia. We got to understand that uh, when we participate in trade uh, block or trade uh, cooperation or trade agreement, it's about expanding our market. Now, that is important if internally uh, our industries are large enough and our market is no longer large enough to contain, meaning that we, we got to, to sell beyond our own market. That's one. And of course, secondly, is of course, you know, our, our economy are driven very much by FDI, uh, foreign direct investment. And there's a lot of investment here that use Malaysia as a base and therefore they need to trade uh, with other countries. Uh, in that sense, you cannot run away from having trade agreement. It's just the nature of the game, meaning that, for example, if Malaysia do not have a trade agreement with Europe and Indonesia has, it just gives Indonesia a bigger advantage than us because, you know, if, if they address the tariff, then they can be more attractive than us. So in that sense, we too need to have a trade agreement just to be on a level playing field. Uh, but having said that, how do we benefit from it? In, in simple terms, I mean, if I produce, you know, 10 chickens, I have one pasamalam uh, and, and that's enough. Having 10 more pasamalam is not going to help me. But unless I can grow... 
my supply side, meaning that I can produce 100 more chickens, then having more pasar malam will be useful. So the challenge is always that it's not just about finding new market, but it's also addressing our internal capacity. So uh, many of these uh, um, trading blocks, uh, it facilitate trade to happen, um, but we, on the other hand, have to address our own internal productivity, our own internal uh, capacity to address uh, the value chain to ensure that we can compete. So, so, so that that is, I think, quite vital and quite important. So, which sectors have that sort of internal capacity to reap the most benefit from these free trade agreements? Okay. Okay, to, to, to understand that, I think uh, uh, it's important to understand uh, the nature of our economy. And uh, where we are now, we have like 1.2 million businesses in Malaysia. 98.6%, uh, 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 rounding out to 99% are SMI, SME. And, and less than 1% are the mid-tier and the large corporation. Now, when you look at that domain, the, the SMSME contributes only like 17% of our trade. Uh, 83% are by this 1% to 2% mid-tier and large corporation. And that's very significant. So when we talk about how we benefit at the moment, when I mean, you look at the composition of our businesses, it is really driven by the mid-tier and the large corporation. The mid-tier translates to around contributing 30% of the international trade. Whereas uh, the large corporation contributes almost like 50% of industrial trade. And on top of that, this large corporation are dominated by FDI, a lot of uh, multinationals. And uh, secondly, the mid-tier is where, I, I guess, the, the best bang for the buck. Yeah? Because that's where Malaysian large mid-tier corporation could really contribute in terms of our, our international trade. So if we participated in, in RCEP or, or even CPTPP, uh, I see that you know, it is the mid-tier that can make the, the most uh, impact in terms of our trade immediately. Yeah? Whereas for the, the smaller SMI, SME, which you know, constitutes something like 99%, uh, remember this 99% or is it really about 1.1 million of all these companies, almost 60 to 17% are, I mean, they are very, very small. So when you look at the SMISME, they are very much into uh, F&B, yeah, the food and beverages, into the services. These are not high value or high tech industry, but but that's where majority of our businesses are, and and it also contributes something like uh, you know sixty six percent of employment. So you know there's a massive employment in that sector, but not in very strategic uh, uh, industry. So. For us to move our economy forward, I think there is a need to look at restructuring our SMISME to go more into the high-value, high-technology sector. Uh, Currently, uh, we can survive on the F&B. We have advantages in areas like halal industry. Uh, But I think uh, with uh, RCEP, with CPTPP, where the economy facilitates all the countries to trade, I think we're going to face more challenges, especially SMI, SME, uh, and and the lower uh, value sector. Um, 
So, so when you look at Malaysia, uh, our strength is really when you look at our our trade, our strength is really in the ENE, the electrical and electronic sector. Uh, ENE is the biggest uh, contributor. Uh, and secondly, we have the oil and gas, petroleum industry, energy sector, uh, and then we have manufacturing, uh, palm oil, and others. Yeah. Now, in those sector, you know, in the ENE, we are ahead of many of our neighbors, with exception of a few. Uh, those are the sector that we really need to home in and look at our mid tiers. Uh, we need to really establish strong mid tiers in the ENE. Uh, currently is still dominated by the large corporations which are uh, foreign direct uh, investment companies. Yeah, But uh, for Malaysian to grow in the E&E sector, I think we have an advantage uh, uh, to, to really focus in that sector and grow uh, our own local uh, companies to become global champions. And that's what, uh, in my mind, that's the direction that you've got to go. We've got to create global champions from our local uh, mid-tiers. Uh, and our SMISME, they need to move away from uh, a, a low-value segment into a higher-value segment. They need to go into uh, areas uh, uh, that that has uh, beyond the FNB. Areas like, for example, in furniture industry, uh, uh, areas into creative technology, uh, you know, into digital animation, uh, areas uh, such as uh, pharmaceuticals, uh, industry. Uh, th those are, I think, industries that, that we can grow more of our SMISME so that we can uh, have a better value uh, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, an integrated uh, globalized economy. So there has been some pushback, though, about the CPTPP, right? And that includes concerns about it moving forward at the expense of local players and also on big issues like food security. So what are your thoughts on the criticism or pushback so far? On that account, I think uh, we got to realize this. Yeah, um, When you have, um, you know, our set, for example, is... is ASEAN plus five, yeah, and, and the whole ASEAN, uh, our bigger trade uh, block is really with ASEAN, and the plus five include, you know, Japan, Korea, uh, China, uh, New Zealand, uh, and, and China being the biggest driver, and again, that's uh, one of our biggest uh, export nation as well. Now, uh, as I said earlier, uh, when we talk about regional economic co cooperation, it's beyond just trade. Uh, and, and this is where, uh, and, and this is a, a two-way uh, traffic, yeah? So, uh, you know, as you facilitate your industry to go into all these other RCEP member uh, countries, uh, it also means that other uh, businesses from all the other countries have access to our market. And this is where, I guess, uh, people are concerned because, you know, how well are our SMIs, SME uh, able to compete with all these uh, global players. Now, China has an advantage because, you know, they have the volume and, and they, they can manufacture things. So, uh, the only answer to that really is uh, we got to understand that our products, yeah, our produce, be it in FNB or anything, uh, first is the component of labor. We, we don't have, you know, we are between two to ten times smaller than all our regional uh, neighbors in terms of population. So we don't have a cheap labor 
situation. Secondly, many of our ingredients in the F&B or our natural minerals or components for manufacturing are imported. Uh, we don't have uh, huge uh, resources in terms of ingredients and whatnot, so we've got to import that. So the cost of, of ingredients and labor is no longer cheap, and therefore to compete on the F&B sector is going to be uh, more and more difficult. And that's, again, the reason why I think we need to move up into the value chain and cannot depend on, 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 the, uh, on the lower cost uh, businesses. So many civil society groups are saying, though, that MITI hasn't actually given a detailed response on these issues that have been raised. What do you think can or should be done on the ministry's part to mitigate these concerns? Definitely, that, that there is a, a value in what is said, yeah. Because I think uh, definitely there there needs to be a lot more guidance in terms of um, uh, RCEP, uh, you know, participating in RCEP and and the likes of CPTPP. To me, CPTPP is currently, if you like, on hold. Uh, nothing much progress there, but RCEP has kicked off. Uh, as of March uh, last year, uh, you know, it's already taken effect. So, so RCEP is very real, uh, and since it is beyond, uh, it is beyond just trade. Uh, it also involves, uh, you know, the e-commerce, the intellectual property rights, and so on. Uh, uh, you know, explaining how that is going to impact our industry, I think, becomes very important. Uh, but in itself, it's a very huge, huge task. And this is where probably at NITI, you know, having a very uh, uh, focused task group addressing specific industry segment, I think becomes very important. Uh, just look at E&E, for example, understanding the value chain. You know, one of the things that we learned from COVID is about the impact of addressing the supply chain uh, because COVID literally stops traveling and so on. So that, that supply chain becomes so important. Now, similarly, understanding the supply chain, uh, what we have in E&E or in oil and gas within our own industry segment and understanding where the gaps are, I think that is very important. Uh, understanding those gaps and looking at how it fits with the rest of the region and all the participants participating members, I think that's important. Uh, and this is where I think it works. It has to work both ways. Uh, industry associations, trade association, uh, chamber of commerce needs to work with MITI uh, to address many of these concerns. Uh, because, you know, uh, the industry knows their industry better. Uh, uh, MITI uh, facilitate in terms of the policy, the implementation, and the government focus in terms of interacting with all the other uh, countries. So, so both of them needs to have a very specific task, looking at specific industry segment, because trying to address all of them in one go is, is a very huge task. Uh, so, so to me, my my thoughts is, you know, you you got to go in and and look at this, uh, very focused, address it, uh, the value chain. Uh, and, and strategically address a concern that can really address our industry, uh, whether in terms of scaling up, in terms of, you know, because again, back to the Pasamalam, you know, issue, can we scale up our production? The moment you participate in an economy like China, you know, if you're used to produce uh, two boxes of uh, whatever product, uh, you go to China, they need two truckloads or two containers. 
Uh, so you need to be able to scale up your production much, much faster. That's one. And secondly is, you know, scaling it up is, is a problem when you do not have uh, enough uh, cheap labor uh, resources. So this is where the use of technology becomes so important if you want to scale up quickly and industry need help. You know, how do you scale up? What are the, the, the assistance uh, available Similarly, if we want to move our economy into higher value and higher uh, uh, technology uh, industry, the close cooperation between higher institutions and industry needs to happen. We cannot produce you know, all this misalignment and mismatch of uh, graduates and industry demands, I think should not happen. So that, that kind of collaboration needs to happen. We cannot work in silos. We need to work as a team. And uh, that's the only way forward, identifying critical areas, get all the resources, cross ministries. Yeah, uh, We cannot work in silos. And we've got to work with uh, agencies, government and the industry together to address many of these concerns. Sharin, thanks for speaking with us today. That was Dr. Mohamed Sharin Madras, adjunct professor at the UKM Graduate Business School, as well as former CEO of Martrade, uh, weighing in on uh, the international trade agreements and what we stand to gain from it, how we can... Uh, how we can best capitalize on them. So keep sending your thoughts through. What should the Ministry of International Trade and Industry prioritize for this year? You can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us. And that concludes our two-week-long dive into resolutions we'd like to see the various ministries adopt for the coming year. Um, Keep those thoughts coming as well, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.